Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together business owners, leaders and experts to talk about their business journeys and provide them with invaluable insights and explore the link between personal and business success. I am your host, Warren Munson, founder of Evolve. I have previously founded, grown and successfully exited three businesses in the business services and technology sectors. I have a passion for helping and advising businesses and seeing them succeed. We all know that leading and running a business comes with its own unique joys and challenges and Evolve provides the advice, guidance and support to the business, you and your teams on that journey, be that if you're starting, growing or looking to exit or step away from your business. We do this through our Ignite, Thrive and Optimize programs and services, which includes strategic advice, coaching and mentoring, leadership training, funded business support and so much more. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolveadvisory.co.uk or connect and message me on LinkedIn. For now though, let's just get on with the show. For many of us, the start of a new year presents an opportunity to set new goals and determine a path to a happier, healthier and more successful life. I therefore thought it would be great to start 2024 with a conversation with someone who has made it her mission to improve the physical and mental well-being of individuals, business leaders and their teams. Leanne Spencer is an award-winning well-being expert that works with businesses to create happier, healthier and more resilient teams. As experts in corporate well-being and well-being strategy, Leanne and her team help their clients to lead with well-being within their organisations. Leanne is also a best-selling author of three books and a TEDx speaker with over 11 years experience in well-being and over 13 qualifications in exercise and nutrition. As you'll hear in our conversation, Leanne's journey began in 2012 when she left a 15-year career in sales due to burnout. Among other topics in this podcast, Leanne talks about a signature cadence approach, which is all about developing stress resilience through practices such as nervous system management, breath work, exercise, time in nature, and developing personal relationships. She also discusses the concept of slithers of recovery, which really resonated with me, and deliberate rest, and explores how business leaders can think about themselves as a role model for wellness, within their companies. Please do enjoy the episode. Welcome Leanne to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you Warren. Yeah, looking forward to it. Really interested to have our conversation about workplace, well-being, your cadence approach, something I've heard, you know, we've been on a podcast together, so I've heard you speak about cadence. It was something that really resonated with me and that whole wider piece around, you know, well-being, workplace, and the health, you know, of our teams and our individuals, but also how we as individuals and business owners and leaders can perform better. But to kick things off, really, Leanne, perhaps we should just put into context for our listeners why you're so passionate about improving well-being and avoiding burnout. Um, perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about your own journey to where you are today. Yeah, um, I will mention, I think you're recording down in Dorset, in pool area, which we is are. actually where I'm from, which is where I'm born. But listeners, don't worry. I'm not going to spend the next 45 minutes going through <laughs> kindergarten, <laughs> bagger awards. <laughs> we'll, we'll pick up from sort of 2012 onwards. And at that point in time, early 2012, I was working in the city and I'm pointing three miles over in that direction uh, for various different market data companies. And at the time, 
I'd enjoyed my career for a period, but as we got into the latter side of it, so 2010, 2011, 2012, I just wasn't enjoying it very much. I felt as though I was mixing with people that, that just didn't really match my values. You know, it was a lot of bravado and, you know, I don't get out of bed if the deal's worth less than 50K and this kind of thing. And and I just wasn't getting a lot of uh, value and reward out of what I was doing either. And I was starting to feel quite burnt out. And I think, you know, we'll talk more about this, but burnout isn't just I'm working more hours than my body can cope with. I think it can be driven by doing something that doesn't meet your values or being in an environment that, that doesn't suit you. I think all of those things can contribute to burnout as much as the physical effort that you're putting in. Uh, because it wasn't actually particularly about physical effort for me. I wasn't doing crazy hours. It was just all these other things that were going on. I was had been for some time prior to that uh, medicating against this with lots of alcohol. I know you've had someone on the pod before talking about alcohol. But for me, I was drinking about a bottle and a half of wine most nights. And that would be every night. And that would be months, years of that consistency. Uh, and it's really interesting because I, I tell this story or version of when I do my keynotes. And Pre-COVID... Um, I would say you know, a bottle and a half of wine every night and look up at the audience and you'd hear this, ooh. <laughs> Post-COVID, they look at me and wait for me to carry on. So I'll actually joke <laughs> and say, I'll be honest, I was expecting you to gasp, but everyone roars with laughter, but <clears throat> seems to have changed uh, through COVID. So some dark humour there, but anyway. But it was a lot, and it, and it was the cumulative mm. effect of this. And it came to a head one Friday afternoon, uh, a day much like today, dank, miserable, wet Friday afternoon in March. And I was on my way to a sales meeting where I was hoping to close the biggest order of my career. And I got to the meeting a couple of minutes in after my client and I exchanged some pleasantries and sip from our, our coffee cups. He tells me this order's not going to happen. And basically, he was building a hardware system for his client, and I was selling the data that was fed into the back end of it, but his client had pulled out. So no hardware, no data required, whole things off. And I knew it was going to make things very difficult for me in the sales office. You know, I was kind of running to the end of, of what everyone was happy with, really, me and them at that particular role. So I went home, and I just spent the weekend thinking about what it was I wanted to do. And my options were, as I saw it, you know, either stay in this role and keep on going, or you look for a different role in the same company, or you look for the same type of role, sales, in a different company, or ultimately leave and do something completely different. So I spent the weekend thinking about this, opted to jump ship, no savings, no plan, I just wanted to get out. Uh, and that's what I did. And at that point, I felt I was drinking alcoholically, I was tired, emotionally drained, burnt out. It really seemed to me there were two paths and one of them just, just wasn't tenable. So I took a bit of time out to rest and recover. Uh, and in that time, I gave up alcohol as it goes and coming up on 12 years sobriety. Uh, in that Congratulations. Time, thank you. Uh, in that time, I, I retrained as a personal trainer, did that for two or three years, had a team of trainers working for me at one point. And then we realized that fitness was a very small part of health and well-being. It's important, but it is a small component. What are the other things to think about? Sleep, nervous system management, energy, body composition, digestive health social relationships, human connection, other forms of connection. So we, we created what we call the Six Signals, which was a coaching course that looked at those elements I've just mentioned, or six of them. And then about eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, I went to see my old boss that I'd worked for my first two jobs. And he's quite a straight-talking guy, and he just said, look, you know, trying to find someone who's got the money, who's in enough pain to want to part with it for a coaching package, and most importantly, goes home and the partner, husband or wife, says, 
I think that's a great idea. You should go for it. Mm. Trying to get the combination of those three things is tricky. And he said, look, why are you doing that? Go back to talking to corporates as you did before. You know, develop yourself as a speaker and spread an important message at scale. And that basically brings us up to today. Uh, well, I've been a professional speaker for about seven years. We're a company of five people. And uh, the messages we talk about are predominantly those of cadence, those of the importance of social relationships and, and stress resilience in, in the younger generation as well. Brilliant. Well, and we'll come on to talk about that kind of cadence approach. When you look back now, do you, do you wish you'd made that decision earlier and been brave enough earlier to change direction? Or did you think, and, and maybe others would resonate listening to this, you have to get to that close to breaking point to do something about it and to do something so dramatic, I suppose, to change your life? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I do wish I'd done it before. It feels very much like a life of two halves, really. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure it, it works that way, really. I think you, you have to get to a point where you're confronted with a decisional path. And there's that real impetus to break away from what you know and what may or may not be well paid or familiar. Um, so, yes, I do wish I'd done it sooner. And I'm not a fan of the expression, everything happens for a reason, but I think there, there needs to be enough pain to motivate people to change. And that's generally accepted as true. And I needed to get into that degree of pain in all the different contexts to make that break. Yeah. But I have known people who've said, now this has gone far enough for me, I'm off. And I think yeah. we're seeing that more now, you know, we with are, the possible. And, and is that because we're understanding ourselves better? Or do you think there's just more possibility and more choice in the world in 2023 i think there's that i think people who've broken off to go all in on side hustles is better talked about now um i think covid did provide people with an opportunity to rethink <clears throat> what it was they wanted to do it wasn't a that kind of experience for everybody but for a lot of people it it, it showed you what life would be like if you had another hour in the day what life's like when you can work out in the middle of the day on a peloton bike or running through the park what life's like to have a bit more time with your family or the ability to walk the dog in the morning and i think that presented people with a actually i'd like to do this a bit differently or i'm going to do something completely different i had the realization a few years ago that the most important thing to me is autonomy that if you like is my north star as much as possible i want to be in control of my destiny and i have a very sort of strong internal locus of control i do believe that my actions will dictate the consequences of you know, my life and, and the results and so forth but autonomy is the most important thing so with that in mind it becomes very clear what i should do you know don't work for someone else <laughs> <laughs> been there done that yeah. got the t-shirt and exactly didn't work out too well. and uh, yeah. yeah and i've given the t-shirt to the recycling company no but I, I think a lot of other people during covid had that realization of what's really important to them hmm. it's true because you didn't need to be at the catalyst did you? you didn't need to be at that breaking point we all or most of us did get a chance to actually reflect mm. and do something different and have changed change our behaviors some did it for good <laughs> and yep. obviously some bad habits also probably crept in and yeah <laughs> hence the bottom half of wine comment not have the same reaction <laughs> just these doesn't days. land anymore <laughs> no definitely and i mean what other signals and signs do you see because i think it's quite interesting isn't it we probably all reflect that burnout does come from working hard I suppose we all recognize that but you started to touch on the fact that you think you know there is other signs and signals that indicate that you should be thinking about more about your own personal well-being or signs and signals that we should we see in others in our team members and we should be 
reacting to and doing something. So can we just explore that for a moment, Leanne? Mm. Yeah, I think that there's lots of different things that can cause it. Yeah, there's the number of hours that you're working, it's the type of work you're doing and how valuable and rewarding you might find that, how meaningful that is, uh, how connected you are to your local community, to family members, to other human beings, the quality of your social relationships. I think all of those different things can contribute to burnout. Um, erosion of hope, yeah, and, and other kind of, you know, tiptoeing into to other kind of mental health conditions. All of those things, I think, can affect it. What I do think we're starting to appreciate a bit more in the working world now is that people can be burnt out and it, it isn't necessarily entirely down to the job, but nonetheless, it's something we still have to consider. Um, to take a sidestep, I did a piece of work for a large pharmaceutical company earlier in the year. And one of the catchphrases or zingers, if you like, for my content is when are your Wimbledons, which is basically means when are the big events coming up for you? It's not actually about tennis per se, although the reference is when are the big events professionally and personally? And then we'll come to it. But Cadence is about thinking, well, when are the predictable events, the Wimbledons and how can I get ready for them? And in this work that I did for the pharmaceutical company, Closer to Wimbledon itself, which is the first two weeks in July, we started to refresh some of this content. So they created a, a sort of visual of a tennis court and they encouraged people to come down to the cafe area and get some post-it notes that look like tennis balls and just write down those big events just to make them front and centre and put them somewhere on the court. Just a visual reminder. And then we took pictures of them afterwards with their permission. And what was interesting is a lot of those Wimbledons were not actually work-related. No. House renovation, divorce, just a couple of examples. Things that do require a lot of energy from that person. And of course, that's going to affect how they show up at work. So it was a really interesting insight that what's affecting or potentially affecting the energy, mood and motivation of your people actually has nothing to do with the amount, the volume, the intensity of the work that you're asking them to do. And I think that is important because if we can make allowances for that, give people the resources they need you know, asking that question, oh, how's it going at home? Or do you know what? You know, I can't wait to see the back of the builders. We haven't slept properly, this, that and the other. And that can make a difference. Just asking that question yeah. of someone and having them, oh, that person remembered I'm having work done and they've asked about that. And just, just a hat tip really to the fact that, that what draws upon our energy and therefore could affect our chronic stress levels or journey to burnout may not have anything to do with work. So yeah. that I, I think is interesting. It is really interesting, isn't it? Because I think it does, you know, when you do have those conversations with a team member, it, A, it shows you care and you truly care. They've had a sounding board that mm. it releases some of that tension. But I think as a you know, leader, it enables you to put in perspective where they are and actually yeah. frame all of your conversations with them in a more meaningful and healthy way because you've got perspective on what's happening in their life. And if mm. they've been a great player for you in the past and they're not performing to their best then you know that you can help and support them through the other side and they can become that person again and I mm. think it's really important isn't it yeah and things that you could do in response to that might be to say well would it help you to drive home at two o'clock today and do that that call we've got from home so you don't spend another hour in traffic or would it help you if I booked you a hot desk and you had an extra day in the office if the work at home is is intruding your ability to concentrate or would it help if you did more time from home so that you haven't got the added burden yeah. of commuting you know these sort of things that you could you could offer that really do make a lot of difference to people 
Definitely, definitely. And through the work you do and all the discussions you have with, you know, multitude of organisations of various different sizes and industries, I mean, what do you think the current state of perhaps well-being amongst business owners and leaders is at the moment? Well, I don't have the latest statistics, but it seems that, that well, burnout is definitely on the up. Um, I think one of the things that, that drives that is in part the culture we've got around working hours and, and intensity of working. Um, it seems as though it's on the increase and that's probably driven by this necessity to perform. And then you've got the other confounding variables, of course, of cost of living, cost of electricity and heat and power and all this kind of thing. That's making for your average business owner who's running a relatively small business. All of these things are going to be really impactful. <clears throat> uh, and, that, and that's what we're responding to, really, with the kind of things that we talk about is that is that drive for high performance and how we manage to sustain that. Because I think that is one of the things that's challenging people's well-being and contributing to burnout. And, and the data does suggest that that's on the increase and these, these numbers are going up. So interrogating why that is and then understanding how we can respond to that, I think, is really important. But okay. Which is it? maintaining performance because we do need to, you know, businesses still need to, to run. It's like that leadership model, isn't it? A good leader will, have, there'll be high challenge, but there's also high support. Yeah. You know, that's what we're, where we still need to be in that quadrant, don't we? Yeah. But it's how do we get people to perform? And that's a great segue really into your cadence approach, which really resonated with me when I heard about it. So please, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your cadence approach? Yes. So take a step back it came about because i was thinking about this this conundrum of how do you maintain high levels of performance but don't burn out and as i was thinking about this you know performing at the very highest level or high levels all year round is what a lot of us think we need to do whether that's because of personality type childhood origins the culture of the business your culture of your boss or your team or whatever it might be your perception of what's expected of you whether that matches reality or not. But either way, I think in the, in the medium to long term, that expectation of performing at the highest level all year round is not manageable. Now, you may know someone who can do three years at that pace. I might be able to say, well, my friend can only do three months. And I might be saying, and I'm, I can only do three weeks at that pace before I'm like, whoa. Yeah. But in the medium to long term, it isn't sustainable. We'll all get away with quite a lot in the short term. And when we think about what an athlete would do, you know, they will anticipate a big event they want to perform at prepare by making some small changes that have a big impact on their ability to perform they'll get that thing done the match played the bout fought and then they'll get this little bit of recovery not a lot it's not great swathes of time little bit of recovery and then they'll go again and i think that's really helpful for us to, to try and model because business could be described as an endurance sport with occasional sprints mm. or you might think more like an endurance sport with frequent sprints or it could be, to use that term again, that every day feels like a Wimbledon. Always got to yep. be going for it. But wouldn't it be good if we saw ourselves as business athletes and we anticipated when our energy might be needed? We prepared for that moment. We, we performed, we got it done, and then got that little bit of recovery. Mm. And that's what we call cadence. And it's very simple, four-step approach. First is predict when are your Wimbledons, when are the big events professionally and personally. So looking at your world professionally, it's going to be anything around taxation, the end of year, mm. um, other big moments in the fiscal calendar. Uh, for other industries, you know, it may be different. It may be a software launch, a product update, another round of funding. But we know that's coming. It's predictable. So wouldn't it be great 
if we just prepared for it. A little bit of extra sleep or thinning out the schedule on a Sunday so a little bit more energised. Now, personally, as I was mentioning, it matters just as much. If you've got a house move planned, a new baby coming into the family, a child going to a new or specialist school, they're great events that you'd probably want to prepare for as a family, whatever that family looked like. So both of those are important. So the predict phase is one of the Wimbledon's big events coming up for you. Prepare is about building your bulletproof. Small changes that have a big impact over time. And they are the lifestyle changes as much as anything, do you think? Those things that make you more able more resilient that yes. little bit more able to cope with the stress and the pressure that's coming exactly that uh, okay. my term is make you fit for the rigors of daily life or the rigors of working life but yes exactly that to develop that stress resilience and the sort of things that i think have the biggest effect would be sleep quantity or quality nervous system management doing something you find relaxing breath work meditation time in nature Uh, That varies for individuals. Things that energise you, people, places, things that energise you, structured exercise, daily movement, low-level physical activity, and social relationships, which we should touch on in in a bit more depth now or later on, because I think that will be the next frontier of well-being. And I've got some good good thinking, and I know that AI was one thing you were going to mention. That might be a good point. But all of those things, I think, make you fit for the rigours of daily life. Now, of course, there's others, nutrition, hydration, Uh, those kind of things but that's part of the prepare phase and it would typically be one two or maximum three things that someone might do as if you like their blueprint to get ready and how do we work out as an individual what the best things we can do to prepare are because actually you know that's it's great to say hear you say choose the you know one two three things because in a way sometimes we it can be nearly as overwhelming when you go actually i'm going to be healthier i'm going to do the good things and i'm going to get back into a better rhythm of looking after myself but you know it's quite an exhaustive list at that mm. point and the, the sense of overwhelm at that point can nearly lead to that kind of sense of failure because you don't feel like you're doing all the things you need to do so i really like it that you say well find the three things you do but how do we as individuals pick the things we think are going to have most effect on us okay the way i think of it is think of one thing for energy one thing for mood and one thing for motivation so energy people places things physical environment um and i'll give you some examples um, we were joking about how cold it was in our respective environments early on in the day. So in terms of energy, you know, being in a warm environment, jokes aside, I like to stand. I'm not right now. I mix it up, but I like to stand. Uh, I find that quite energizing depending on the type of work that I'm doing. Um, I've got a poster of Noel Gallagher over there behind me to just to remind me not to take myself too seriously. <laughs> you know, that's part of it, really. The, the environment you're in can be energising. And there's other things on the walls that, you know, some pictures of our endurance events. And in fact, I've got all my medals since I've more or less retired from endurance events over there. That's one example. Um, another thing that is energising for me is having a sort of low level physical activity. So maybe just going over in a corner to do a few movement snacks. Nothing crazy. Just moving your body. You just jump up and down and bounce. Or it could be uh, people. It could be having a chat with someone before a big event. It just you know, someone that makes you laugh and lights you up. Uh, that that kind of thing for energy. You know, everyone will have their own. If I was to say to you, what one thing energizes you? That could be it, and it'd be very different for all of us. Uh, mood, light. 
Natural light is great for producing serotonin, and that's fantastic for mood. It's essential for mood regulation. Mm. Um, it could be it could be movement because that affects mood as well. So thinking about something for mood, something that keeps you in a happy mood. It might be having a picture of an upcoming holiday on your desk or something of that sort. Uh, I actually usually have my dog in the office for various reasons. She's not today. Um, but she's fantastic for mood. I just look over every now and again and go over a little, give her, give her a little cuddle or something like that. Again, it'll vary for everyone. Motivation. You're thinking about your values, your integrity, your priorities, your goals. You know, why is it you're doing what you're doing? What's the intent behind this? Mm. So they would be three things that give people something to think about. What's, what's the Brilliant. one thing for energy, one thing for mood, one thing for motivation? Brilliant. I love that, Leanne. I think that that's a really good set of tips, really, because, again, I think if you did one thing for each, it, it gives you something to focus on, doesn't it? It yeah. gets you into a new habit. Yeah. And then you can add to it rather than sometimes what you hear is we need to you need to be doing all of these things. And as I say, I think you can nearly find that as overwhelming as not doing anything. Absolutely. I mean, a couple of things that add to that is one, make it really simple. So what's the simplest thing you could do in the category of energy? Even if, you know, you were to say to me, well, it's this. So I'd say, great. And you'd be like, well, is that not a bit simple, Leanne? You know, is that, I could do yeah. more. No, just do that. Just do that consistently for a couple of weeks. But the other thing is there's a bewildering amount of information out there, as you've alluded to. And uh, it can be really confusing. The source, you know, is paleo versus keto, vegan carnivore, hit, slow state, steady zone two training. I mean, it's bewildering. I find that. And it's the world I've inhabited for 12 years. So I would suggest to people to get some trusted sources. It might be me. It might not. It might be me at the end of the podcast. It isn't yet. It may be someone else. But get a handful of trusted sources and kind of follow their guidance until it, it doesn't chime with you anymore. You know, there's a mismatch because otherwise you just get very confused. There's so much information out there. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, and we've talked about the predict and prepare phases. So let's go on and talk about the perform and recover phases <laughs> yeah. if we can. So perform is about respecting your red flags. The body sends these telltale signs, these signals, these flags that it raises. We've just become very good at ignoring them. So, I mean, I'll give you a very practical example. We both talked off air about, you know, it's coming up to the end of the year. I don't think there's anyone listening who isn't probably thinking, oh, yeah, rock on the end of the year. Um, I always know if I've, maybe I'm over-caffeinated or slightly sleep-deprived, which I really try and avoid, but, you know, we're all we all have have nights and aren't so great left eyelid flickers it's not flickering right now you'd be pleased to know but left eyelid flickers that's a red flag you know that just try and get into a sleepy state a little bit quicker tonight or make 10 minutes earlier to bed something like that make make sure your mental state is as relaxed as possible before your head hits the pillow Um, other red flags are tiredness but not a you know i've been up late last night i'm tired you know more of a deep-seated couldn't pinpoint exactly why you're tired but it's a sort of heaviness anhedonia is another good one which is the opposite of hedonia so anhedonia would be a loss of pleasure in something you used to find pleasurable so if you used to love a game of squash and now you're like oh, i'm just I'm, i don't think I'm, I'm gonna think i'm gonna swerve it that could be anhedonia irritability and very often your partner is better at pointing that out for you lethargy yeah. you know these are examples of red flags and we've got good at ignoring them but we shouldn't and the perform phase is get it done, but respect your red flags. Don't go too hard, too fast towards a goal and ignore those. And recover is arguably the most important. It's about slivers of recovery. Uh, what I mean by that is a very small 
little moment in time, a minute or two every hour, where you might look at the dog or stroker, as I mentioned earlier, or look out the window and just see what you can observe. Everything's very still. Uh, or just daydream. Just let yourself sort of look out into the horizon and, okay, come back just for a couple of minutes. Or it could be doing a movement snack. It could be going across and having a chat with a colleague that you find funny or interesting. It could be holding a toddler above your head just to get that little bit of movement, that little bit of human connection. You get the message. There's lots of different ways you can do it. And I'm sure people listening will be thinking, oh, I know what mine would be. I'd go off and do this. Or I'd stand in the garden and get some natural light on my skin. Mm. Slivers of recovery. Because really, when you do that, every hour, every two hours, listeners decide for themselves. Honestly, that's enough to help us to, to back off. And backing off beats burnout. It's those little slivers of recovery done consistently. Now, of course, you can pair that with deliberate rest. And deliberate rest might be saying yourself or your partner or your family do you know what let's just take everything out of the diary next weekend and let's have a spontaneous restful weekend or thinning out the schedule for sunday or it could be i'm going to finish at three o'clock and i'm going to have nothing in the diary or i'm going to have a bath or i'm going to spend time in the garden or whatever it is it's deliberate rest and it's a little bit more uh chunkier in terms of time than slivers of recovery mm. but it's the slivers that matter and, you know, in all the talks I do, it's, it's what people are talking about as they file off for coffee or whatever it is, is slivers of recovery. It really seems yeah. to resonate with people because it's so easy. Anyone could work those into their schedule. That's yeah. Cadence. See, and I, and I, when I first heard a Cadence approach, that really resonated with me. And I love, you know, that slither of recovery as a term and as an approach. Because I always thought when I first heard about it and when you started talking about the Cadence, we'd get these Wimbledons, you know, and then you'll be saying, no, then take a holiday, then take this big recovery time mm. but what you're saying is we need to look after uh, i'm interpreting you right leanne what we need to do is we need to look after ourselves day in day out and it's these slivers of recovery that yep. enable us to do that yeah exactly it's, it's almost like the minimal effective dose really it's the smallest thing you could do for yourself in an hour or two hours or a morning do that um it's manageable I mean, it's nice. Who, who wants to go bowling from one task to another? It's nice just to break off, look out the window. You know, fortunately, this unit uh, has lots of natural lights, lots to look out, out the windows. And I often use it, just turn my neck, look out the window, admire the different colours we've got as autumn turns to winter right back in. Obviously, I'm not doing it mid-call, mid-conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll be pleased mid-podcast to know. Mid-podcast recording. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> and. Obviously, when you deliver that as a message as part of your keynotes and when you go into businesses and, and talk to the teams, what changes have you seen take place? You know, what are some of the stories that you've heard post the delivery of a keynote that you, I suppose, makes you proud in, in what you've done and, and the message you've conveyed? Yeah. Well, from an individual perspective, people talking about the slivers, I get often after keynotes, I'll have people posting pictures of themselves on a sun lounger with a book and a coffee, taking my hashtag sliver of recovery on LinkedIn and hearing about how people are thinking about their red flags, but that's slightly more personal. It's usually the slivers they'll talk about or someone will write to me and say, here are the Wimbledons that I've thought about. Often weddings come up, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And here are the slivers that I'm taking to keep myself balanced out. And that's always great to see. And from a leadership point of view, hearing about, you know, we've changed the way we run team meetings we have rituals now around the team meetings where we'll ask questions, you know, who's, who's having a sliver of recovery or celebrating success with something like a sliver as well. That's what I really like to see. And then the use of language changes, and that's when it's very effective. So people start thinking about Wimbledons. 
uh, as big events coming up um, or something that, that's the equivalent of that because I do speak to quite a lot of sporting organisations although they never seem to mind the tennis and tennis metaphor yeah. um, so that's always good to see as well to see how it's been used from a management or a leadership point of view and then the actual you know the, the individuals implementing that Brilliant. And I suppose that really moves on to us thinking about, you know, a business owner, business leader listening to this thinking, I need to do more, I need to improve what I can do for my team and their well-being. What's the, some of the very first steps that that business owner, business leader could implement to instill a good culture of health and well-being within that company or organisation, Ian? Well, I think the first thing is to consider and I'm going to use the expression leadership shadow, but that's not my expression. It's a, uh, a friend of mine, Tom Emery, um, who, who brought that expression to me. But the shadow cast by yourself and your leadership practices. So thinking about yourself as a role model, first of all, are you demonstrating the behaviours that you're looking for within your team? I think a really good question to ask, actually, is what behaviours do I demonstrate that could contribute to the burnout of my team? What behaviours do I demonstrate that could contribute to the burnout of my team? You know, an obvious example might be at what times of day do I send emails? Or what do I demand of people in terms of their schedules? How long are the meetings? How many meetings do we have? Uh, do I expect people to work out of hours? Those kind of things. Or, or even if I don't expect it, are my behaviours indicating that that's what I'm actually looking for? So thinking about yourself as a role model, I think when all when you look at trying to change the culture to position it more to underpin well-being within it as part of a high performance culture not a we have zen dens and we've got bean bags and and isn't this great uh i think we're actually seeing a move away from that now and to to positioning well-being as part of a high performance culture just to sidestep for a moment uh, a finance client i worked with quite recently said to me look we're a high performance culture and we're not getting away from that so how do you position your slivers of recovery piece in the keynote with that in mind and I said it's simple slivers of recovery are or rather a high performance culture is asking people to deliver at pace with slivers of recovery it's part and parcel it's integral it's mutually inclusive um, so thinking about the role model of the leader I think it begins with them so what are they doing for their energy their mood their motivation because it's very you know the, the ripple effect of their behaviors is very mm. powerful I think if they're looking to try and create a culture of openness and authenticity, which is very important, open up first. There's a lot of studies that have been shown that if you reveal something about yourself, it doesn't have to be skeletons out of the closet, you know, it encourages other people to open yeah. up. So obviously different people will respond differently to that, but that's something else to consider, that authenticity, that openness. Uh, celebrating success, investing in well-being, so tools and resources, but mo more importantly, really, creating the culture where those tools and resources are embedded as opposed to, you know, if you're having some sort of mental health crisis, go there. And Sometimes you know, they're seen a little bit as a toolkit that just sits on yeah. the edge of the desk, doesn't yeah. it? And a bit like the defibrillator up on the wall, you know. If the worst happens, that's that we're going to have to rush over there. That's where but, we're going to go, yeah. yeah. But actually, it's not part of the day in, day out. Yeah kind of inbred into the culture i think well-being's changed it's certainly changed for me it's gone from being tools resources education to really understanding how you can just bring a human element back into the working world and into a high performance environment and every business is going to call itself high performance i mean if you ever met a business it's a low performing business <laughs> yeah. 
by choice. Yeah. Definitely. You know, in terms of the pace they want to move at. Now, of course, some move quicker than others, but it's really understanding, you know, how we can treat people like human beings, help them to take care of themselves, provide a culture that expects performance, but also acknowledges you've got human beings. Um, and of course, having tools and resources for people if they need them. Uh, and I think, you know, and I'm, I'm bound to say this, but bringing it back to cadence as well, you know, don't expect people to perform at high level all year round. You have to be able to give them that. Call it what you want, whether you call it cadence and follow those principles or whether you call it something else. You know, you will not get happy, healthy and resilient people by expecting high performance all year round, all the time. Yeah. There has to be some sort of, of cadence to that. <clears throat> Brilliant. And as we move on, I want to have a conversation with you in a moment about how we all stay socially connected, but that probably starts with the conversation around tech. And hmm. I just wondered, you know, what your view is on, you know, you're talking very openly and honestly about human connection, you know, and, you know, us understanding ourselves better and us taking small, simple steps that make a big difference to our lives. But we're sort of overwhelmed as well, aren't we, out there with kind of tech? You know, I think you're wearing an Aurora ring. I'm wearing a work. Yeah, I don't know. If you I know. am. Yep. <laughs> and um, and you know, Apple watches and all of that that tell us how much sleep we need and whether we're sleeping. Uh, I mean, do you think we're just getting addicted to tech? And do you think we should be more kind of basic than that? Or do you think tech does have a role to play in this well-being piece? I think it has a role to play. I mean, it's not for everybody. If you're someone yeah. that can get very anxious about data um, and you'd overanalyze and start to let your mind worry over things, then maybe it's not for you. Um, I think it's helpful. I mean, in terms of preventative health, but also ongoing monitoring. And I suppose to a degree, seeing what the effects of the changes you're making. If somebody's listening and they're thinking, okay, I've got my one thing for energy, my one for mood, but one for motivation. And I'd love to know in a month if that's actually made any difference to my sleep or my nervous system recovery. So I definitely think there's a place for it. I think it's possible that people think because they're wearing tech, they're doing something positive towards their, their well-being, which isn't really the case. But I don't think that's, that's very frequent. I think there's definitely a place for it. I mean, the Whoop, both the Whoop and Neuro are really good on sleep, and I'm not going to do a side-by-side -side comparison. I think the latest data shows that they are, Neuro is better in some areas, Whoop in others, but they're both really good. One's American, one's Finnish, really good bits of tech. Uh, what I like about it is it allows me to see total sleep and composition of sleep. So I don't look at all the data points. So, I mean, last night was terrible. For the last two nights, the dogs got us up at two o'clock needing to go out. Um, and she won't do what she needs to do for 20 minutes. So, you know, we're out a while. It's not been good. So six hours, 20 minutes last night. Wired and awake at that point. Yeah. Um, so I, I nearly didn't look at the data this morning because I know it's not been great. It's not been a perfect night of sleep. Yeah. What will I do with that? Well, I'll use it to inform what tonight's going to look like. I will make a few changes, which we could talk about if you're interested. Um, I'll look at composition of sleep as well, though, because six hours, 20 minutes, we know it's not enough for what most people need most of the time. And that's seven to eight hours. And that's according to the data of Professor Matthew Walker, not my estimates, yeah. um, finger in air. Um, but... The quality of it actually wasn't bad. But irrespective of that, it's one night, it'll be all right. Uh, yeah. So I look at that, but I also look at nervous system recovery metrics. More importantly, and this comes back to the recovery, you know, I think most of us aren't necessarily overworking, but we are under-recovered. Mm. 
Hence, the encouragement of slivers of recovery is a really accessible way that people can yeah. start to address that balance. So I'll look at HRV, heart rate variability. It's basically the interbeat interval. And a healthy heart will not have a regular interbeat interval because the nervous system will be stressing it in different ways. So it'll be irregular. And that generally is considered healthy. I'll look at resting heart rate as well. That's HRV. Generally, you want the number to be higher. As you probably know, resting heart rate, you generally want that to be lower. That's a good indication of nervous yeah. system recovery. I look at um, respiratory rate and body temperature. They're all very, very good signs as to how much strain my nervous system is under. And if you track that, if it's recovering or whether it's not. So I think in that sense, this kind of data is really helpful because how else do you know, apart from subjective measures, which shouldn't be ignored, but quite often this stuff is latent. How can you tell, you know, what your HRV is doing or mm. how well you're recovering? Because yeah. quite often we just keep on going. So I think that, you know, that, that kind of tech is important. Yeah, I, and I, I agree with you for all of the reasons that you've said. You know, I, I suppose it's educated me a little bit, particularly around the HRV. I think it it does change my behaviour in terms of sleep for exactly the reasons you say that, you know, for... I know that if I've had, had a couple of good nights sleep and my recovery is good, then I can push myself. Mm. And I know that actually if I've had a bad night's sleep, I probably have just got to get on with the next day because that's, that's life. But yeah. the following evening, right, make sure I am in bed a bit earlier, make sure I have calmed down, make sure I am ready and can tr try and recover some of that lost sleep. So I think for mm. some reasons like you, I think if you maybe it just plays to my analytical brain as well maybe but i think for me seeing data makes me change my behavior and i think if you wear tech and do and respond as a result as you say then i think it makes makes a difference but that probably leads us on to ai really and you know the world is changing once again leanne um so in that kind of same way around wearable tech where do you think ai is going to kind of play out in terms of well-being and the effectiveness as individuals over the next, you know, let's just say five to ten years. Mm. Well, I think we're in a really interesting time. We've had COVID. We need to say no more about that. But that instigated for for what has been, for many has become a permanent move to hybrid or remote first working. So the digital age has continued. We've got hybrid and remote working, a permanent fixture for some people, uh, some companies still undecided. And then, of course, the arguable inflection point of AI. And there's different perspectives about whether it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to us. We'll become a multi-planetary species and AI will help us get there. Or whether you think actually it's going to, to result in lots of lost jobs and possibly eradication of humans. We don't know. But we're, we're kind of there. We're kind of at that inflection point. From, from what I've, my research and my thinking, I think it's going to put an even greater focus on the importance of social relationships and human connection than we've ever had before. I think, you know, there's no, no need unless you'd like to, to go, I'm no expert anyway, and all the benefits of AI, it's here. And I think there are a number of benefits, but it really is going to make it important that human to human connection is what it's about for for you know certainly for our well-being and our health and our resilience maybe not for day-to-day -day productivity so that's where i think we'll get to with it i think we're going to need to to make sure we're connected in all the different contexts of that and connection could be to nature to each other to ourselves to meaningful work purpose values but also the quality of our social relationships i think the emphasis is really going to drive to that and for anyone listening, thinking, oh, God, oh, I've got to have 20 friends and see them all regularly. No, it could be one. It might be many. 
But social relationships really are what is integral to being human and important for stress resilience, important for our sense of connectedness. Also for health span, some really good evidence around social relationships being important for health span. You know, think of the Blue Zones. It was a programme that was on Netflix quite recently. And the Blue Zones are just five regions of the world. So they are California, uh, Japan, Sardinia, Greece... And the fifth one's just jumped out of my mind. It will come back to me. Um, Five areas of the world anyway, where they've got the highest proportion of centarians, so people who live to 100 or thereabouts. And uh, a researcher called Dan Bootner and his team spent years living with these people in these five different areas of the world to understand what it is they do and to try and draw out some commonality. And there were nine characteristics they called the power nine that these people had in common, but three of them relate to the topic of social relationships and that is they all sensed they were in the right tribe so they had a tribe of people around them that that resonated with their values and so on they put family first chosen family not necessarily biological and they had this strong sense of belonging so it really you know can encapsulate that by saying it's high quality social relationships are a leading characteristic that help us to live longer healthier lives as well so some real big benefits and stress resilience certainly is very topical when we're talking about health and and well-being of people in the working world and i suppose the big question then isn't it because that all resonates and obviously tech and social media and that is driving us away from those true connections if anything you know so in this more modern world with you know tech that will continue to advance ai that will advance you know how you know do you believe that we can truly remain socially connected well we can use technology to help us with that social connection Um, as long as we appreciate that it's a tool or a conduit as opposed to a a replacement, I think, for for social connection. And we do use it for that purpose. We use phones to communicate the when and where of of where we're meeting. We use it for FaceTime calls. Um, We'll use it to stay connected to some of the issues that we care about in the world, for example, through X. I'm not on that, but many are. Um, So I I think it can be, it can help facilitate that connection, but it doesn't replace it. There is a concern for the younger generation, particularly the generation that's kind of got onto so, to smartphones and you know, I'm not going to give an age category, but during COVID when they would normally have been out socialising with friends, developing some of that independence that young people do, you know, starting to break away from the family and more towards friendship groups, all of which I think is a normal, healthy part of their development. And instead that was done on phones. I don't think it's yet to, yet to, to see what effect that has on people long term. I hear anecdotally that, that young people are coming into the workforce and they, aren't, they don't know how to communicate as effectively. I don't know how true that is or not. But that is one of the downsides of over-relying on, on technology for that communication. Um, yeah. Is, you know, do, are you able to have those conversations? Yeah. Uh, on that topic, I think one of the big areas of concern for business owners might be next year the stress resilience of multi-generational teams or the communication between multi-generational teams as well and and what people expect the younger generation gen z expect when they come into an organization around well-being and mental health and, and all that kind of thing and the reality of a business that's run by a different generation of folk or, a, you know, a business that has to run at a certain pace, yeah. but yet a younger person's coming in with sort of maybe conflicting expectations of what they can do, say, yeah. what's actually acceptable in terms of time off for mental health and all that kind of thing. 
And I suppose it's always been thus, hasn't it? There's always been the generational divide. Yeah. But I think the tech piece has just accelerated the gap yeah. and that divide, hasn't it? And that's the difference. And I think yeah. you're right. That's why all of us as business owners and business leaders need to be more aware of it. Yeah, and I've loved this conversation. It's been a great conversation. Um, I always end with the one final question around, you know, more personal question for you, Leanne. Um, and what's your definition of personal success? So this is one of the questions I did reflect on. Um, if for me, it's about achieving goals, having fun, staying true to values whilst maintaining energy, mood and motivation. Brilliant. So achieving goals, having fun whilst maintaining my values and maintaining energy, mood and motivation. Brilliant. Such a succinct and simple answer, but so complex at the same time, Leanne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Love um, that. I, I love that response. If people want to learn more about you, more about the Cadence approach, more about your other keynote spe speeches that you do deliver, where can they go? So leannespencer.co.uk, L-E-A-N-N-E-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.co.uk is the website uh, at Leanne Spencer Keynote on Facebook, Insta and LinkedIn. That's where people can find me. Uh, my book is called Cadence. It's a mini book. It's eight and a half thousand words. It's an easy read. Chuck that one in the Christmas stocking. Of course, this will go out after Christmas. <laughs> You're holding copy right now. Uh, that, that summarizes a lot of what I've talked about in terms of Cadence yeah. as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Leanne. You've been a great guest. Thank you for just sharing your own personal knowledge, your own personal experiences, and, and just letting us know a little bit more about what we can do to improve not just our own well-being, but the well-being of our teams. Thank you. Pleasure, Warren. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. And don't forget, if you'd like to learn more about Evolve and the services we offer and how we can help you and your business confidently start, grow and exit, then please go to evolveadvisory.co.uk. Please also help and support this podcast by subscribing, liking and giving us a positive review on your favourite listening platform. Thanks for listening and see you next week.